0: Welcome to ProHo, a movement that focuses on candid dialogue to bring to light shared experiences of black and brown bodies to highlight the societal conditioning that has stunted our sexual identities and wellness. I'm your host, Penda Jai, and on today's episode, we are joined by Birna, sex work advocate and researcher. Welcome, Birna.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course. Thank you for coming all the way from Iceland. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so first, I just want to start out with the basic basic thoughts on decriminalization of sex work. Can you define sex work? What constitutes as sex work?
1: So sex work, um, when we talk about decriminalization, is usually used as a term that's less stigmatizing for prostitution. Um but sex work is an umbrella term and it can be used to describe adult entertainment, stripping, camming, anything under like this umbrella of sexual services and sensual services, right? So uh, dominatrixes, BDSM work is all under this term as well. Um, When we think about the stigma, it's pretty much an umbrella term. When we think about the legislation, it's more, uh, sexual services that are being sold or traded
0: okay amazing because I think a lot of people when we think sex work yeah. we're limited to thinking about prostitution yeah. and therefore I think that's why a lot of the stigma still exists because people of are course. like you envision you know a half naked woman walking down the street mm-hmm. you know yeah. giving blowjobs in people's car
1: right and that's like the the difference also between we call like an outdoor sex worker versus indoor sex workers so somebody who's maybe street-based. I tend to avoid the term survival sex work because under the system we live in, like a lot of jobs are survival, right? So um, versus indoor sex worker is like escorting service um, online, uh, like you book someone online, you come to them or they meet at a hotel, that kind of thing. But uh, the stigma is definitely still there. And I think it's being, you know, portrayed as this like street walker type person, which they exist and we fight for them just like everyone else, but it is such a big term for sure.
0: Definitely. And do you feel like those stigmas are attached to this like greater cultural phobia or like yeah. misogyny and, and homophobia or, or the patriarchy, all of that stuff, xenophobia?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's all layered, right? So when people think about sex work, they usually re- are referring to women, um, usually women that are considered um, lower class, right? So it's like how we think about classism and then sexism, right, on top of that. And then the deep-rooted misogyny regarding sexual well-being. And sexual agency. Sexual agency and autonomy. So when somebody takes advantage of an opportunity to sell um, a service for money that is already stigmatized... Like, having sex as a woman is already stigmatized. Yes. And then also factors like race play into this as well. Um, How we see black sex workers versus white sex workers. There's lots of different varieties of stigma here. There's also a hierarchy of like people referring to strippers versus oh, like a prostitute. And there's hierarchies within sex work too. So it's a kind of multi-level stigma and it comes from a lot of different places.
0: So uh, what are some examples of the hierarchy? Like who's on the top and who's at the bottom? So
1: um, I would say on the bottom is definitely like an outdoor sex worker. Um, and the top is somebody like People tend to glorify um, stripping currently. Like there's a lot of media that's it's being portrayed as like easy money, oh, you are just dancing, um, like movies coming out, uh, you know, memes about like scamming and stuff like that. And then in the middle is like camming, dominatrix, anything that doesn't involve physical touching is also always put like in a different category. Um, and then in the middle, somewhere is the like indoor sex worker or um, big on Twitter, like the escorting services and stuff. Yes. Um, definitely trying to distance themselves from each other. And I mean, within the sex work community, there's a term, <laughs> it's called horophobia where a girl that's doing extras at the club or going home with clients as a stripper is looked down on more than somebody who doesn't, even though we're all stigmatized just the same pretty much. Pretty
0: much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so do you think having this large demographic demographic of sex work, it makes it more difficult to, to understand the legislation around
1: it? Definitely. And I think also um, people are pretty removed from legislation or policies regarding sexual um, anything, really. I mean, when we think about like sex education in schools, sexuality practices, like uh, even just reproductive health, the policy making is already there's so much uh, stigma around like what we can change and what we can do regarding sexual agency. So when people are thinking about decriminalizing sex work or any policies regarding uh, the less policing of certain people, that uh, stigma about sexual agency really comes into play. And like people don't want to maybe listen to the conversation because they're already blocking it because it has to do with sex work or it has to do with sex in general. Um, I think just in general, the climate right now in America. <laughs> yes it's really tough to have a conversation openly with somebody who disagrees with this viewpoint about sex work because there's so many political layers involved um everything from reproductive rights to sexual education it's all under this kind of blanket right now of like don't touch it don't talk about it if you do talk about it it's going to be an argument and um that's why it's really tough for people to listen
0: Yes, I agree with that that we don't we don't have these discussions. And I think mm-hmm. I read in your article it was really interesting to me how you were saying sex work is one of the rare occupations where regardless of your class, your education, mm-hmm. your where you're from, your immigration status, women are in a position to make more money than yeah. men. Yeah. And I thought that, that was really interesting because mm-hmm. I think that's part of the root of the problem is that people policing sex work are men, obviously, and we're policing women's bodies. So I think that is, that has a great deal to do with why it's still seen as so taboo, because let's be honest, if women were, you know, in charge of this or benefiting from it, sex work probably would have been less stigmatized a long time ago.
1: Definitely. I think it's also important to note that uh, any laws regarding women, like in general, or any type of conversation regarding women, there's already so much pressure, <laughs> and so when you think about like the misogyny of talking about sex work and the misogyny of the the where the conversation is going, um, there really there really is like a lot of uh, different opinions just within this community, and. It's important for everyone in the community and outside of the community to listen to each other and to not be like, well, like, you know, this was not my experience, so this couldn't have happened and to really absorb what's happening. So as a collective, we make policies that fit the right way for sure.
0: So do you think we will one day arrive at some sort of policy that will allow sex work to be legal and to be decriminalized
1: so the proposed legislation right now is kind of in chunks so basically um the trend for policing uh basically if you were a sex worker and you weren't working you were just walking to the subway and you happened to be black or black and trans and living in like jackson heights you could get arrested and you will be arrested just, for, just walking. for walking, for being, for being, for looking a certain way. And uh, this is something that shouldn't happen no matter what, you know. And it's something that if you are a sex worker, you don't feel safe if you're not working. Like that's something that um, people really took into consideration when making policies is starting with, you know, smaller chunks. And this is something that's so important to do because you can't fully like flip everything over. There's going to be so much pushback. And so starting in smaller chunks is definitely really important. Um, The over-policing of Black trans women, um, especially in places like Queens where most of the arrests are being made. Um, It's so important to create policies to avoid The getting arrested while walking, getting arrested while existing, right?
0: Right. And I'm sure you've heard of even just like recently in social media of like parking while black or like just, you know, walking while black. And so I can see the resemblance, the similarities. Definitely.
1: And of course it's walking while black and walking while trans and walking while maybe being a sex worker. And uh, if you recall in my paper, I wrote about how the health department gives out millions of free condoms yes, every I, year. So
0: they give out condoms only to then in return well, arrest people who are carrying those right, condoms. So it's
1: not like they're giving out the condoms purposefully for the arrest, but there is this loophole with the policing where... The new, you know, the black condoms with like the New York City logo, the NYC logo. I know them. Those are from the health department and they give them out, and then police are legally allowed to use condoms as evidence of sex work. So you might be going to a. To your partner, or to your partner's home or something. So you might be going to a clinic um, to get free condoms to try to practice safe um, work. Only to have those be used against you because you look a certain way.
0: Right, because I can't imagine that they would arrest a white man no. for carrying these no. condoms on the or street, if right? they
1: searched a white man um, who maybe worked at Wall Street wearing a suit, they maybe searched him for... I don't, I can't even think of a reason right now, to be honest, but you know, and found a condom, they're not going to arrest him for sex work because he doesn't look fit, yeah. what they think a sex worker is. And so that's one of the, um, proposed decriminalization policies. Um, and then there's a lot also to do with, um, how like healthcare and mental healthcare institutions are treating sex workers. Um, for instance like not being able to deny somebody uh, care based on their occupation Um, like you would not be allowed to like force someone uh, to just like die from something because they worked at a bank it's the same like it's like you shouldn't be able to um, treat somebody badly or force them to Live a certain way just because of what they do. And sex work is unfortunately one of those occupations that creates that stigma that is mediated by healthcare and financial institutions alike.
0: Right. And I want to segue into a larger conversation about labor rights and access to healthcare, like you were saying. And we spoke about police brutality a lot, mm-hmm. but um, so how do sex workers' rights fall into those categories? For example, health care. How is health care provided to sex workers?
1: So um, it depends really on where you live in America. So I know like uh, San Francisco is the St. James Infirmary, which is specialized care for sex workers. Um, but in some parts of America, um, I'm thinking like Southern Alabama, for example, where no matter if you're a sex worker or not, it's very difficult to get access to reproductive health care for low cost. Um, so health care really is just an institution that reflects broader society, right? So it kind of mediates what's happening. So if healthcare care providers are uh, against sex work, if they assume or find out somebody's occupation uh, the care is going to reflect their attitude towards sex work unfortunately because obviously we don't <laughs> want this to happen we don't want healthcare providers no matter what to deny care but it's such a deep-rooted stigma um, the notion that a sex worker is more risky with behavior more prone to drug use or um, carrying disease, which is something you hear a lot too, um, often leads to like these notions really do lead to a limited care or limited, uh, proper care. Um, this also ties in obviously with the lack of affordable healthcare in the U S. So if you are working and you're not, um, maybe don't have proof of income or health insurance, <laughs> you already, yes. you know, aren't, getting the care that you might need.
0: (laughs) I was reading an article recently by a gynecologist and she was speaking on STIs and how there's still such a stigma that permeates within our Mm -hmm. culture um, and how she feels that people still don't feel comfortable asking her about sexually transmitted diseases, diseases and infections. And so I was, you know, you triggered something when you were saying that There is a stigma attached with sex sex workers and STIs, but yet we still don't speak about it. But the fact that we don't speak about it shows that it is... It is a part of the culture in a much broader scope than just sex workers, right? Like a lot of people have STIs and STDs, but we don't speak about it. So therefore, then when you see someone who is a sex worker, we automatically want to attach that stereotype onto them. Even though you could, like you said, that same Wall Street guy could have three different STDs, but we just don't project Right that onto him
1: it definitely is a projection and it's like a scapegoat too it's like oh well they're already lower than me so i might as well you know attach this um and also i think just historically it's been something um that in the past it's been like oh these people carry disease and group them together when the general population also had those diseases but it was a scapegoat definitely
0: Right. And so thinking about scapegoats and and people that we want to blame for uh, sex work or so how do you think the decriminalization will affect these different people who come from different races and classes? So what does that look like spread across a large demographic?
1: Mm -hmm. So just taking an example kind of because Instagram exists um, in a vacuum kind of uh, where it's a definitely like a broader reflection of what's going on outside of Instagram but it exists in a vacuum where like you see sexual content being erased or deleted or people being deleted right Um, because of legislation uh, like FOSTA and SESTA Um, but you see like the majority of those accounts um, that are being targeted or being reported Are queer and um, black and people of colors accounts and that's just a reflection of like what's happening on the outside but you can really see it and the hierarchy like we talked about before there's also that intersection of like being a black stripper versus being a white stripper being an outdoor sex worker who is black or, or any person of color versus being a white person and so the general like, population, right? So a woman who's black and a woman who's white who aren't sex workers are going to have very different experiences. So why wouldn't that also be true for sex work?
0: Yes. Right? Right. <laughs> like we can't just group everyone in all of a sudden yeah. like, oh, everyone's the same because we know that that's not reality. Yeah.
1: So um, it's definitely like a di- – sorry, but it's definitely a different experience So I think the policies that have to be made need to focus on people that are the most marginalized within sex work and work up from there because there's people at the top of this hierarchy that already have that privilege. They have the privilege to speak out. They have the privilege of getting their accounts back, right? They have the privilege of paying taxes while um, that's not the case for everybody in sex work. And I think race is a very important um, thing to look at and and think about when you're thinking about where the policies need to happen first.
0: Right. Especially when I think about a lot of times in black and brown communities, mm-hmm. for example, stripping or other forms of sex work often comes from necessity yeah. as opposed to choice. Yeah. Where I think maybe in some other communities it's it's still a it's still a necessity to make the money, but I do feel like a lot of times black and brown people like that they feel like that is their only option of making income. Definitely. So I think that yeah. puts a different strain on how you approach the job, mm-hmm. or maybe the situations that you will tolerate because you feel like yeah. this is the only way that you can provide for your family.
1: Definitely. And I think that's something that came up a lot in the New York stripper strike, which was led by majority, um, if not all, uh, black strippers. Um, the the idea of like how much can we tolerate? Um, There's a lot of body shaming because of stereotypes regarding black and women and femmes bodies um, and stereotypes that tie into fetishization as well. And uh, the like not going home with clients is like a very big one, but also like stop telling us to get surgery to have like a yeah. bigger butt or a bigger yeah. tits or, or like smaller waist or whatever like whatever the trend is that year I guess
0: <laughs> the um, owner are yeah. like so we're gonna need you yeah. to go under for no, this I mean
1: this is something that definitely you know, it's a pressure for sure so it's like um not only do you have to behave a certain way as a stripper if you are you know working in a black club you're expected to work a different way than in a white club and it's it's true that there's labels like there's race labels on different clubs for sure and it's not necessarily the clientele it's the people that work there that um you know oh like this club uh is like um they dance differently they have different music like the tipping is different and all that but there's a deeper thing there it's like (laughs) there's a difference and and that's definitely um for me, like seeing white strippers go into a black club feels weird, but not the way people might assume. I think it's weird. It's just like, that's their space. Yeah. (laughs) That's their, like they cultivated this space and it's like, they have, a different culture in stripping than white clubs
0: right and it's almost like a form of appropriation honestly no it is right no
1: it definitely is and also just like uh most of the trends we see in like uh either stripping music video um or even just like strip club attire right is you know historically created by black strippers and, um, of course, there's, like, white strippers that, um, like, there's been plenty of, like, movies about the white stripper, right? But uh, what's happening, like, now in today's culture and trend, like, there's um, – it's almost like a costume for people now, which definitely feels appropriative. Um, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah, or,
0: like, even when you're saying – you know alter your body this way or this way like traditionally you're probably altering your body to resemble something of a black woman's body
1: even your face like uh, bigger lips is definitely a trend that like is rooted in that appropriation um yeah bigger (laughs) bigger everything (laughs) smaller ways like all of that and it's funny because the like even like the body positive movement has been started by black women and femmes but now is being appropriated and obviously like there is also white women that have been part of this movement, yes. but, um, allowing space and also just like stepping out for a minute <laughs> or for longer than a minute, <laughs> and allowing, uh, other people to be highlighted in a movement that they started. So whether it's like the stripper strike or, you know, body positive culture, um, just stepping away and being like, how do I already Uh, get privilege from this and how can i like step away and not over speak or you know crowd the the voices here because and i heard something that really resonated with me like right before i wrote my paper that um like i never really understood how to put this into words but um like there's nobody who's voiceless Right. So when we say like amplify the voices, it's like nobody's voiceless. It's just about like how much space are you taking up and like and allowing for other
0: voices to be heard. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Okay, I read also that I was so surprised to hear that some platforms, some um, online fund transfers don't allow sex workers to receive money on those apps. And that is really – so first of all, how are they able to regulate this? So
1: um, legislation that's uh, online legislation basically is FOSTA and SESTA, which uh, – Sorry, can you explain? Yeah, can yeah. you so, break those down? So basically, <laughs> uh, long story short, um, FOSTA and SESTA are two different bills. So the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, uh, FOSTA, focuses on um, basically before this happened – uh, internet providers or websites were not responsible for third parties. So like commenters, advertisements, they were responsible in terms of like, uh, like financially, but uh, basically if somebody was commenting or some advertisement was linked to sex trafficking, it wasn't their responsibility. This legislation um, made it that websites are now responsible for their third parties in terms of sex trafficking. So a lot of uh, platforms like Facebook, Instagram, have to have an algorithm to avoid being responsible for sex trafficking. The problem is neither FOSTA or SESTA defined exactly what sex trafficking is compared to sex work. And since sex work is already illegal for the most part, it's hard to differentiate, right? What's consensual versus what's not consensual from the perspective of the algorithm, right? So basically, Instagram, Facebook, pretty much every website that has these allocations for third parties, like ads, um, are now responsible for what happens if somebody is connected to sex trafficking, right?
0: So instead of taking the risk, they'd rather just not engage.
1: Yeah. um, And so... Websites like Backpage, uh, which was very popular for sex workers, Um, they were already under some legal trouble before this, but they got taken down. Um, But Backpage had resources for sex workers, like blacklists. And uh, there's even forums on Reddit um, that were blacklists or safety tips. And then Craigslist personals got taken down.
0: (laughs) It no longer exists. No longer
1: exists. I think... They might be working on something or if it's already up again, but it was removed um, because it's just their responsibility, so they have to take it down. Um, But this creates this weird uh, problem where you have the word sex in your Instagram caption and it gets flagged, or you post a photo of your body, and it gets flagged. And Tumblr, right, made that huge change. I know, yeah.
0: And then I feel like a lot – then a lot of that imagery went to Twitter. I think Twitter has, like, blown up in terms of that. But yeah, when Tumblr took that down, I thought a lot of people said that that was really their first experience with sexual images, Mm -hmm. and for it to not exist anymore is unfortunate, you know?
1: tumblr also had a lot of resources for sex workers especially like in the stripping or like even like sugar baby community was really big on there um and the images like what you're saying is definitely for somebody who's non-binary or trans or just exploring their sexual identity or um orientation it was a really important tool for a lot of people yes
0: i have a friend who is asian and he's gay and he felt like when he was exploring his sexual identity going to porn always showed gay Asians as bottoms or like you're yeah. submissive and mm-hmm. he really felt that Tumblr was really the first place that he was like oh there are butch Asians or there are this that like it it just widened his scope of how he himself could identify sexually Definitely. um so yeah it's really unfortunate that these sites are not allowing or the censorship is is really yeah. out of this world
1: and uh the censorship also Ties into like where do people in a place that doesn't provide a lot of sex education, where are people learning about sex? It's been online for the past two decades, (laughs) right? So now with the censorship, it's like what information out there is true, what's not. And that's why it's so important for like people to fight against this and find ways to kind of beat this algorithm. Because until we change the legislation, it's not going to change. Like The company policies are there because of legislation. So fighting this is really important because people need to know the realities of sex work, reproductive wellness, and just sex in general.
0: And until I think you said it best, until we find better ways to include sex education into our society, then you have to allow people to... Use the media or whatever means that they can in order to learn about themselves and their identities.
1: Definitely. I mean, people did that before the internet with um, whatever media they could find, like magazines or like... like, Even like erotica. erotica. Literature, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Like that's such a... Sometimes I think I forget about erotica because it's like... I don't know that many people who Mm. actively read it, but thinking about before the internet, that was a really important way for people to get off.
1: (laughs) Definitely. And it came in so many varieties too. But then the internet brought it all together and was like, hey, you're okay. You're normal. You're okay. You exist. And we exist. And it's going to be okay. And that, I think, validated a lot of people because instead of having this media alone – you were like, wow, look at all these people that agree with this. Look yes. at the notes under this post. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> or people that look like me yeah. and are interested yes. in the same things that I'm in, which Definitely. I think is really important because I think a lot of us forget that we have shared experiences mm-hmm. and shared desires. And sometimes it's hard to find, right. to replicate that in in your, the ways that you get off. If that's via porn or lit- literature, it's it's difficult to find, um, to self-identify. Yeah. 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 Well, I want to thank you, Birna, so much for thank coming on the show. Um, I know that you try out a lot of like sex toys and sex products, so I wanted to know if you wanted to leave us with like maybe one of your favorite products that you would recommend that someone could try out.
1: So, okay, there's actually two right now. Okay. <laughs> um, the first one surprised me a little bit because it doesn't look like uh, the average sex toy. It's from a company called... Um, mode or Maud? I'm not sure how to pronounce it's m-a-u-d-e
0: I love them I've worked with them they're oh, really? amazing yes
1: so it's the little gray one and um like to be honest it was gifted and I was like oh it's cute and then I was like I cannot put this down <laughs> and then the other one um I want to give a shout out to is uh so unbound love them me too um they have this, like, set of handcuffs, the, like, Orion ones, I think they're I haven't called. seen these. So they're blue, the ones I have, and they're th- kind of thicker and they're really soft. And you can – they have an extension to hook it over a door. And I'm <laughs> like, if you're looking for something that's super just different from what you're used to, an introduction to maybe BDSM. Yes. Or an introduction to, like, Power Play, these are really good because they're soft and they, um, they're also easy to, like uh, – get used to and and also like the door extension thing is not as like intimidating it doesn't <laughs> i'm trying look intimidating. to imagine like
0: what this looks it, like It like hooks
1: in the middle and then goes over the door and then you close the door okay and so um it's not as intimidating as it sounds um so if you're looking to just do something different i love it's that. a good way to start
0: wonderful and where can people find you on the gram and on all of that good stuff
1: so i have an instagram uh i uh got censored a lot so <laughs> i'm uh, working on the posting but it's um at b b i r n a it's b birna um and i always have open dms if you have any questions and you can also find the link to my paper that i talked about in my bio
0: Amazing. Thank you to everyone for tuning in into this episode of Froho. My name is Penda. Be sure to like, follow, subscribe, all of that good stuff, and we will catch you the next time. Thank you.
1: Thank you.